Rabbit Trails podcast. Hey, Garrett, how about we do a podcast? Let's do it. Let's do a podcast. Man, uh, listen, I hope you are doing well on your side of the world there in Spain. We have a uh, wind advisory today. I was going to do this from my balcony, but uh, you would not be able to hear me because it would sound like uh, Judgment Day has blown in. It's actually quite cold here for early April, and there's been a ton of snow up in the mountains. We live by the mountains. So actually, the snow's a lot lower down uh, than normal for this time of year. So it's been, but it's been snowing up in the mountains for like two straight weeks. So there's a ton of, ton of snow. And no one can go up there. No one can go up there and go skiing. Gosh, it's just like it's taunting going on. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, man. Uh, enjoyed the last podcast. That was a lot of fun. Gotten good feedback so far. Uh, so I think... I think all signs point to where we should give the people what they want a second episode, second, a second episode. And uh, so we will make every effort to do that. Um, I've, you know, my, my mind has been, since we're calling this rat, the rabbit trails podcast, uh, my mind has been going in all sorts of different directions uh, lately uh, from uh, just the current events that are going on to things I've always wanted to do dreaming. You know, I was actually supposed to be in Spain this weekend and that that's right. Canceled. Yeah. So all sorts of that. stuff, uh, that, uh, that's going on. And, uh, but I wonder where is your mind going lately as you think deeply, I don't know about you, but this whole, uh, let's say quarantine type situation, we're not on quarantine in Sweden, but, but we're, we're, we're not getting out as much as we used to. Yeah. Uh, it gives a lot of time for reflection. And, uh, and so I've been, I've been doing a lot of thinking. I mean, you and I, we text back and forth with our, with our buddies on uh, Facebook messenger, but uh, what are you thinking about these days? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, something you and I chat about quite a bit, but is, uh, you know, the current social, uh, cultural milieu, if we, is that how you say that milieu? <laughs> yeah. I'll say, say like a Texan milieu. <laughs> uh, well, the, actually funny thing, my wife and I got into a, a conversation about that, uh, because she said that I pronounced it the uh, Swedish way, which is mm-hmm. the Swedish word for it is envi- milieu, which is uh-huh. environment, which also uh-huh. yeah. is French and they're related, but she was like, you, you, you sounded more Swedish than French, which is to be understood. Mm-hmm. It's the first good. time anyone told me that my accent sounded mm-hmm. Swedish. That's good. You're doing, that's good. It's a good sign. <laughs> Been there a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's thinking about Europe, you know, West, particularly Western Europe, uh, where we live and, and, and the, what, what certain people would call secularism or you, you can kind of throw postmodernism in there, but you know, what we're talking about is a secular society and, and, and what exactly that means. What does that mean for uh, Christianity? What does that mean for people? Uh, who are, are following Jesus, and what does it mean for people who are in, in, for lack of a better term, uh, min- missions? You know, the communicating, communication of 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 the Christian message of the gospel, the good news. How how would you? Because you know, it's interesting. I, we throw around terms all the time, right? Like yeah. secular, postmodern, liquid modern, liquid postmodern, postmodern liquid. Yes. Liquid post Christian, post Christian, uh, all of those things. How would you go about defining uh, what is the best definition, or even your personal working definition of yeah. secular? Yeah, well, I, I think on a on a on a very clear, simple way, one, one of the guys who does a good job of that is a guy named Stefan Poss. He's a Dutch theologian thinker, and he would say generally what that means, and I'll quote him here. He'll say low and decreasing levels of church attendance, widespread lack of belief in traditional Christian doctrines, Christian specifically because Europe was 
the heart of Christianity for, for uh, not decades, um, centuries. I was starting to think in Spanish for <laughs> centuries, uh, but also uh, a general indifference towards traditional religious questions. So general indifference. And, and then I would go to, then after that, maybe to a guy named Charles Taylor. So that's the, Stephen Posit breaks it down pretty soon. I think we can kind of get a grasp of that, right? A indifference to, to religion or to Christianity. But uh, I think I got, Charles Taylor wrote this book called A Secular Age, which is massive. Great He's book. A Catholic Canadian uh, philosopher. Um, really heavy, literally heavy lifting because it's giant. It's a giant <laughs> book, but it's also, uh, you know, very mentally. Uh, but he, he would say for a secular society basically um, is a society or a culture that, uh, that's um, basically – has uh, accepting no final goals beyond human flourishing. So having successful life, having a successful culture, society, that's the ultimate goal. Um, and nor any allegiance to anything else beyond this flourishing. So what he means there is, but he would say in previous generations throughout history, flourishing was tied to a belief in a higher power. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have one without the other. Yeah. So your, your society, your people are going to flourish uh, because you there's a God you believe in that God and you're trying to order your life within his order. That's flourishing and that creates flourishing. But he's going to say now in, in a secular society that we believe in, we can have a flourishing society. We don't need God. God doesn't need to be a part of that. And he would say, this is the first time in human history that that, that, that understanding, that that uh, imaginary, that way the culture sees and understands that without even assuming, which even there's no, no one's questioning that. They just assume that that that's, that's norm, normalized. And, and so people, don't, people aren't even questioning that. They're not reflecting on that. They go, well, yeah, of course. Why would we need God in, in that so, so can sphere? I ask, so can I ask you a question on that? In, in mm-hmm. Spain, because it certainly is the case when you describe, uh, you, you said a few words there, indifference. Um, yeah. Gosh, if ever there was a word to describe Swedish feelings towards anything transcendent, it is indifference. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that sense of well-being, uh, human flourishing can be achieved on its own, um, all of that, that, that describes Sweden perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've taken to describing recently Sweden is very, uh, has a very clinical approach to life. Uh, so they don't tend to concern themselves. So, for example, um, so stylistically, Sweden doesn't have a lot of flourishes. It's very simple, clean lines, minimalist in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, Ikea. Yeah, well, you know, interestingly enough, I have a friend, uh, well, you know her, Nicole Lewis, uh, who yeah. we both admire and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she refers to the Swedish as um, the Japanese of Europe. Mm-hmm. And so kind of minimalist, although the, the Japanese have a different relationship uh, with uh, religion in some ways than, than the Swedes do. But all that to say, it, it re- very much reflects that minimalist, uh, clinical kind of approach of if, if it helps me, I'm into it. If it doesn't help me, I'm not into it. And since science has said there is no God, therefore I don't, I'm not into that. Yeah. Is, I would say describes. But how is it in Spain? Because you still have widespread, most people would still describe themselves as Catholic. Yeah. But but there's a tension there because they're obviously fairly secular or is Spain secular? Yeah, I, I would say so. I, and I think both Paz and Taylor make some allowances for secular societies that still have a patina or a relationship with religion, in this case, Christianity. Uh, what, what you get in Spain 
is uh, that you get a lot of people saying they're Catholic and Catholicism and the church is, is in, isn't a lot of stuff. And it's everywhere and it's kind of part of culture. But what you, what you get in Spain is a lot of people will go, well, I'm Catholic, but I don't practice. And so they'll make a very strong, uh, clear, and I think you'd say this is pretty similar in Portugal, in Italy, and Greece. So it's part of the culture. It's part of what we do. But really, they understand it as just part of the culture. And so there's a clear understanding. So Spain's like 20% practicing Christians uh, who take, take their faith serious and go to church on some kind of regular basis or, you know, uh, would say to do something, pray, read the Bible, whatever. Uh, but um, the vast majority of people, uh, so what, what, so what Paz and I think Taylor would say is like, these people are secular in the sense that they still kind of hang around it, but they do not um, buy into or they don't submit to the institution or the uh, formal structure of, of religion. Um, and so, mm. so there, there's also probably a little bit of something about, um, I have a friend here in Granada who's working on, um, in this, in this area, we might be someone to have on the show one day, him and his wife, they're, uh, working in and doing a lot of research and studies on secular, uh, Europe. And he's coined a term, I think he's coined a term, but he calls called folk secularism. Okay. So a little bit of this mixing and matching of, um, you know, don't, you maybe still believe in God or have some spiritual interests or, or, or you're doing some Eastern stuff as well. But it's all big mix. It's your personalized, almost, you know, uh, individualized religion. Huh. Um, and, so, and, and that's something Taylor talks about, too, is really the hallmark. And a lot of people, the hallmark of secularism is hyper-individualism. Hyper-individualism. I am my own person. I create my own reality. Yep. And that's the best thing we can do. You know, and that's... So, I, so it's interesting because early on when we got to Sweden, I started to the way I would have described most people in life's approach to religion in the secular world that, that I found myself is uh, I call it the salad, salad bar approach to, yeah. mm-hmm. to religion. So when you go to a salad bar, you don't think, how do I need to best combine all of these elements in order to, you know, have the best salad experience or, or my best understanding of what is a salad rather you, you kind of go to it and you go, well, I like these bits, but I don't like these bits. And so I'm going to leave those out. And so that, that seems to be a lot of what Taylor and Poss would, would say as well, yeah. is that it's a hyper-individualization of, of, of religion. Yeah, yeah. It's, does, it, does it work for me? And you see that even in, you know, not to be too critical, but of American evangelicalism, often it's, it's, it's very, right now in our current phase in, in the world, it's, it's very individualistic. Right. Um, and, and what you have in Spain is a country that's very clannish, very f- family-based, very... Um, uh, what's the word, you know, it, it's, it's very communal. Yeah. Um, right. More so than Northern, you know, European or America. And so what, right. what you have now is that individualization is, you could say it's fra- beginning the fracture, not just the religious institutions and religious communities, but it's starting to fracture families, societies, you know. So what is your, what is your average secular, what does your average secular Spaniard have? have to say to all of that as things are fracturing that it's the fault of the government that it's fault of the church that it's the fault of i mean what what do they what do they see as the source of those woes yeah i, I think a lot of it would be po- politics or e- economic problems uh you know i, I think you, you you are seeing these people who are saying you know well you know we have morally we've gone we've, we've given up basic kind of morals and those are kind of hurting the family, but by and large people would say, you know, 
the economy, they would say the politics, politicians, different structures. Uh, you know, most people aren't going to see it as, I, I don't, I don't think most people think about, you know, beyond those, those levels. Uh, what about in Sweden? I mean, or what do you guys see there as far as, yeah, is there a fracturing? You know, your, your last, well, yeah, sure. There's fracturing. Actually, my wife and I were talking over lunch uh, today and, and uh, she had just read an article in the newspaper and, she wasn't sure of the time frame. She wasn't sure if it was in reference to a coronavirus. She just can't remember exactly the context, but she had read that there were more divorces than marriages in our, in our town yeah. uh, in a certain period of time. And, you know, okay. So there's a fracturing there. Um, we, in the same conversation, we're talking about that we need to go to a birthday party uh, or to get a present for um a birthday party that my daughter has to go to and the young girl who she's going over to, uh, you know, her, her dad just moved into a new house with his now live in girlfriend, which is standard practice in Swedish. There's actually a Swedish word for it. Um, and her mom now has two kids by, you know, her other, her, her live in boyfriend or they live together, her partner rather. Uh, and so, so she's kind of in this situation where, you know, she spends a week here, a week there. For her, it quote unquote seems normal. Um, in Swedish society would say, hey, that's normal. But this girl is seven years old and this is her life already. Uh, but it, we have friends who are teachers and what they'll tell you is uh, kids are are kind of unraveling in a lot of ways. She's a, she's a, about a, she teaches junior high and high school. And, um, and so she has that perspective. So sure, there's, there's definite, fracturing that goes on um what swedes tend to tell themselves though is well this is just part of life and you move on so mm -hmm. um i mentioned earlier the clinical nature of things um part of one of the coping me mechanisms of swedish culture is to be a little bit stoic um, yeah. and just kind of well you can't control it this is how life is and so you move on so i will give it to swedes that when divorces happen generally speaking they're actually pretty cordial to each other um but the the indifference with which they can treat each other after having had a loving relationship is, to be honest, surprising to me. Um, there's a great Lumineers song, if you know that band. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Stubborn Love. And in, in that, there's a line that says, the opposite of love is indifference. Mm -hmm. And I love mm -hmm. that line because it, it, so I see a lot of that. I see a lot of indifference that goes yeah. on in Sweden. Um, so yeah, there's, there's fracturing in society, but I would say, I would say Swedes. So Charles Taylor talks a lot about the idea of, and this goes back beyond Charles, way before Charles Taylor, but it goes back to this idea of enchantment. So the yep. disenchantment of society, and this yep. has been a concern for a long time. And there's a debate there as to whether or not that really is a thing. I mean, society has been disenchanted, but there's a debate as to whether or not that's a new phenomenon. Yep. But what I would say is it's, it's widespread now. So in Sweden, I would, the way I describe Sweden is it, it is the, um, it is the most individualistic collective thinking society I have ever seen. How everyone arrives at the same conclusion, I can't figure out. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's not variety of conclusions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so therefore what people say is uh, if you ask them, well, do you believe in God? You say, well, I don't believe in silly things is generally what, what people, people's attitude is. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think a lot of, you know, in the context in which we grew up in America and Texas. And, you know, when you saw, met someone who believed in, did not believe in God, it was often maybe a, uh, you know, a, what I call the angry atheist, the person who's ready to 
combat with you. Part of that's yeah. a reflection of our American culture that likes to just argue. Um, and there's a place for that. But then part of it is just the fact that there might've been turned off to something or everything else here in Sweden. There's just indifference. It's, yeah. I don't in the, in the same way that you and I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the, um, you know, the value of the yen relative to hot dogs. No. Um, <laughs> we, we, we don't, they, for that's kind of the category that God falls into for Swedes. Yeah. I don't know why I would think about those things. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's very similar in Spain. So you, I mean, even though I, I you know, the I, I still think there's a a, a decent uh, amount of the culture that has a vocabulary, right? So Spain and Christmas, people put up nativity scenes. Christmas is a big deal. So people have the vocabulary, right? But if you were actually to get into a conversation, most people, especially students, most you know upper class, upper middle class, educated people. It's kind of like, well, I, that's just not something, you know, now they're, they're not necessarily antagonistic to it. Right. There's a pop side of the population that is antagonistic. Spain's right. had a long anti-clerical, anti-church history, you know, that, that sometimes got pretty violent actually against um, churches. Uh, but you, what you have is just kind of an indifference, kind of like, well, that's just not, hey, that's good for you. But aside from, you know, maybe going to a few weddings in the church and the beauty that uh, churches have, you know, that we see. And, and there's some good people. Uh, Mother Teresa is, you know, a great example of something. You know, Jesus is great. But other than that, it's, it's, there's just underlying indifference to all, all that stuff. It's like, well, whatever. Right. Or ranging to hostility. They don't, they don't see the need. So here's, here's a question. I think it's easy for us as Christians to, um, to think, well, we just need to point to those common denominators that, that, you know, you can call them felt needs that people have and how Christ enters into that. So that's kind of, then that becomes the quote unquote task of evangelism or, mm-hmm. or, or sharing Christ with people, making the gospel yeah. known. So one of the, you know, first entry points, of course, is, you know, uh, Jesus forgives your sin, you know, so, yeah. you know, hey, aren't you sinful? Hey, there's a, there's a solution for that. Um, I don't know about Sweden or I don't know about, I hope I know about Sweden. Um, <laughs> I don't know about Spain, uh, but in Sweden, when I say, hey, you know, aren't you miserable as a sinner? I mean, I'm oh, way overstating the way I would present yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the response is, I'm only miserable because you're talking to me. I don't feel miserable. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think I have sin. Yeah, life's, uh, life's good. Yeah, life's good. Yeah. And so so how do you, how do you talk to, uh, how does one go about introducing the gospel into into that situation. So on the one hand, we have the gospel, which is good news, and it is good news, but we tend to come from a culture that says the good news is that you're saved from your sins, but that's not good news to a person who doesn't believe they have sins. Yeah, exactly. Or or I think in Spain where you'd have is like, oh, that's the old, that's the old way people manipulated us. You know, huh, control, yeah. controlling us, and and you know, they point out the corruption and abuse of, of the church, and, and rightfully so; those are horrible things. Um, but you're, while you're trying to point people to Jesus, you know, not uh, not a structure, not an institution, and and that you don't have to deny the institution of it. But so, I, yeah, I think that's a big the big challenge. I think in in Spain we have some uh, some really kind of um, advantages number one is there there is still the vocabulary there so people you know they probably know someone they've had a good experience here or there 
but then what we have is it's a very, it is a very communal society and what people are, are, I think against the fracturing as we're talking about fracturing, people are, you know, looking for community, looking for meaning. They're looking for something, uh, not everyone, but there are people. And so if you can create um, what the church is, right, the church is supposed to be a, a loving community of God's grace. Um, and if you can create that and people can be a part of that, um, maybe before they even start thinking about Jesus or thinking about God, uh, that, that, that's a big step forward, you know, to show that for some people following Jesus makes a difference in their life in a real way and um, how they treat other people and how they welcome people. I think all those things help. Now, I, I think we're very fortunate that in Spain, it's a country that is social. Now, yeah. I, I know you've shared that, you know, Sweden <laughs> is a country that, you know, like this, this whole social distancing thing for y'all is not, is not that, is, is not a big cultural, it's not a big change. You know, Spaniards are, you know, yeah. this is, this is killing Spaniards. Spaniards need to be with people. They love to be with people. They are party people. They are tactile. So, you know, I have never been kissed and hugged more in, you know, my life since living in Spain. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just part of who you are. And if you don't reciprocate, people feel there's something in them uh, in this culture. And it's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's right. I really love, but you have other cultures where that's not, you know, so you're really, I think you guys have a, a big challenge there. Yeah. Have maybe that peg. Yeah. You know, there's, there's different things that we try to have to hang our hat on. Um, I, I do think, you know, it's just the the activity I think that we think of, or not the activity, but the 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 process of making Jesus known and and having it enter enter people's lives. Uh, I think it, it it gets drawn out um, over a longer period of time. Yeah. So yeah. in some ways, um, the way I would liken it is back in the fifties in America, um, you know the what people considered sharing the gospel was um, going and convincing people that in and out burger was better than McDonald's um, that everyone assumed that hamburgers are a part of life. Yeah. Maybe that wouldn't be the, the best example because neither one of those really existed then, but you, you get, and they're, the and they're both horrible. Yeah. Well, Hey, no, 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 no. In and out burger. I have a, I'm a, I'm a water place. Burger my, I'm a, well, yeah, you are a Texan. Uh, Oh, I am too, but I, I do love the In-N-Out Burger. Uh, for what it, I embrace it for what it is. I don't. Yeah. I don't pretend that it is anything but a fast food burger. But anyway, uh, needless to say, the point being is you're just trying to convince people from from you know one thing to another. In other words, people had a framework for it. Um, but the way I put it now is, it's like I'm I walked into a tea drinking culture and I'm trying to convince people of of the virtues of Starbucks. Yeah. Um, it's it's such a it's such a, well, why would I do that? Um, and by the way, coffee is, you know, it's uh, bad for the environment and, you know, all these different, yeah. I mean, there's, there's reasons for, it's not that they aren't aware of that. It's, it's actually the opposite that they, um, that they find it repulsive. Uh, yeah. Funny story, actually, one of our staff I was talking to him the other day and uh, he got into a random conversation with a guy and they've been meeting up. Uh, but uh, this guy said that everything he knows about Christ, he learned from watching the Simpsons. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. uh, that's, I think he, he may be unique in that, but I, I, I but think still, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's where it's at. But you know, the interesting thing is, is I don't think America or, or lots of places in the world, uh, are so far from that anymore. Um, There's at least po huge, large pockets of that. That would be very, uh, yeah. I totally yeah, yeah. So, so how do you think then that this, um, 
the milieu that we find mm -hmm. ourselves in, uh, this secular, you can't swim in water and not get wet. Yeah, yeah. How have you found, and, and this may very well be not the case, you may not feel that it is, but have you seen anywhere areas where you feel like secularism, what I like to call the nice warm blanket of Swedish secularism? Because uh -huh, uh -huh. you do look around and you do go, this ain't a bad place to live. Maybe this no, Jesus thing. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, some days I go, really? is Maybe I'm the crazy one. Maybe, you know, and we, we, just confessions of a missionary here, yeah, yeah. Uh, kick me off the field right now. Uh, but anyway, so so there are those days. Are there yeah. areas where you feel like, yeah, I, I worry that I'm being affected by this in X way or, or whatever else? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think you don't have the the community aspect. You know, whenever we go back to the states, and you have a lot of people who who talk like you, who uh, encourage are encouraging. They understand who you are, what you do. You have you have place, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, this is a whole other thing we can get into at some point or other. But you know, being a cross cultural Christian worker, you you've lost a lot of sense of place. Once, yeah. But then when you're going into a place where it's even harder to find that that place. You know, we're we're very much out on the out out there. You know, behind enemy lines. You mm -hmm, know, however mm -hmm. you want to say it. Um, but that's what we're supposed to be in, in a lot of ways. As 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 followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be in in that kind of setting. So I think that that's a big one. Community, the ac access to kind of just good resources. Those things can kind of have a you know a long. I don't think people realize in in a lot of other places where they're able to go to church with five hundred people and have good teaching. How that that can wear away at you over, over time. That, that feeling like I'm, I'm really out of my place, mm -hmm. you know, but I, that would be, you know, similar in a lot of places in the world where people are working. But uh, I think because, because here it is, it's in living in Europe, it's, it's fairly easy to live. And it's, it's, I think it's fairly easy to blend in and be a part of what's going on too. Um, these are very, you know, open cultures, very welcoming, uh, yeah. you know, democratic yeah. societies and, and it's the great, great people, great place to live. Yeah. Um, great food. Great I, I think though it, it does challenge, I think there's some good side of that because it challenges us, I think, to do ministry and communicate the gospel and live as Christians. I, I don't want to say more authentic. I, I really don't like that word authentic, but it forces us to really dig down deep and look at things because yeah. Totally. I, once again, you know, we talk about strategies and stuff, and what I think what it forces you to be is like, no, this is not about a strategy. This is just about being here, being faithful, and loving people. I think is what I've, I've, that's what I've learned. So that's this forced me to try to push that way and not be about what, how can I think this through or be awesome or uh, you know, because no one no one cares if you're you know, <laughs> let's be, you know, a lot of youth ministry in, in in America is based on we just got some guys who are you know good speakers good looking, yeah, yeah, you know, and that, 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 that kind of stuff here, well, God is working and, and people are, you know, are, are encountering him in very real ways, not in big ways and not in big mass movements. Um, but they are, uh, but it's, it's because I think people are just being faithful and loving their neighbors, you know, which is probably, which is really what we're called to do and not, yeah. so all the, I'm not saying all the other stuff, the strategy and all that stuff is bad, but when you strip all that away, what what is really what is what are we really about? And I thought so. I think it forces us to be really about the important things. Yeah, so I think that's yeah. a good side of it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, there's ways in which Victoria and I have been. Uh, so there's both the positive sides and the negative sides. Well, 
don't want to say positive sides of the secularization, but as far as the cultures we live yeah. in, um, but I mean, some of the negative sides that I've seen is just the, the desire to be for my own independence and my own, uh, you know, stand on my own two legs. I don't. And so it, it even in Sweden, because you, it's a little bit, we're different than in Spain in that way, but there's the sense of isolation that ends up happening. And so uh, you end up not being community oriented as far as your faith goes, which I think is a really mm-hmm. important part, practice yeah. of faith. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you talk, you talk about the idea of how being in, in different, a different context than maybe what um, we formed our views and our understanding of the gospel in and God in, uh, in the cultures that we come from, uh, I, I would, I mean, I'll be honest, um, Sweden has been, so I've served in Central Asia, North Africa. I, I've been in other places of the world as well, but those are the places that I've lived in Sweden. And this has been the most difficult place that I've, that I've been, but it's every place that I've been, um, has caused me to have to reevaluate the foundation of what I'm calling the gospel or my understanding mm-hmm, of who mm-hmm. Jesus is. Uh, Christians in each one of those places has, have taught me really important things. Uh, and I've also seen a lot of what, I guess you could say the, the dross that gets burned away from the, from, from the precious metal. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, it, it was interesting when I, the year I got married, I started the year about a, it was, it was about a year process, maybe 18 month process. So I started the year, uh, in central Asia, I moved to North Africa, then California, and then ended up in Sweden and all in wow. 18 month process. And, um, yeah. and during that time, not a single one of my core political positions changed, but I went from a, you know, far right raving lunatic or you know actually it would have been sorry it would have been way kind of a a little bit of a left-leaning lunatic to a crazy left-leaning lunatic to california where i was on the crazy you know i was on the right and then i moved to i moved to sweden where it was like you come from texas like you're as far right as could possibly ever i i like to tell people that where the where the swedish left where this, where the American left ends, the Swedish right begins. <laughs> and, yeah, so, yeah. and so, so anyway, so yeah. there's all those things, but in every step of the way, in order to try to communicate the gospel, I've had to kind of question, what am I assuming about the gospel? How much of my mm-hmm. politics is wrapped up in my view of who God is, uh, what's right and wrong. And, you know, all the different things that I've had to, had to struggle with, uh, you know, and, and work through, uh, and some of them, I, some of the things that I still hold on and say, yeah, I'm, those are the things I'm going to hold on to other things I've had to go. Okay. Maybe, maybe this one's not as important as I, mm-hmm. as I once thought it was, or yeah. maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on it for this context. Um, yeah. you know, I think it mentioned before, but the, the idea that presentation of the gospel does not have to start with you are a sinner. Yeah. One must achieve an understanding of one's sin yeah, one at some sin. point, yeah. but but the reality that that is actually could begin with the goodness of the world we live in and, and, and all of those things. And so you kind of have to assume those things. Uh, but I think that's the activity and that's the difficulty in a, in a secular age when everyone's viewpoint is that salad bar approach. Yeah. Yeah. 
then you have to determine what, who am I talking to? So every gospel presentation, so to speak, becomes a, a, almost a specialized approach or a, you know, personally tailored uh, approach to understanding the person. And so you have to, you have to interact with asking questions and getting to know them and take your time to kind of unravel or, or take apart that little salad bar. Um, So it's, it's the endeavor of it is, is incredibly painstaking. Yeah. In in so many ways. I think you hit on something there because you, you can't, you, there are some underlying assumptions that most people are, are working with, but then you have, you have, you do have this individualization of what people think and believe and how they, because you, you, you what, even when we're talking about these generalized ideas that I, you know, there's people sitting at home if they heard this, they go, well, that's not anything like me, but I, I consider myself a secular person. Right. Uh, you know, because you, you have all kinds of, you know, I mean, you know, for all kinds of different ways this plays out in, in, in people. And so it's, it's, uh, it's incredibly complicated. Yeah. I, I think that's why it would be interesting to have my, my, my friends on because, you know, they're, they're doing, they've got a, they've started a church here in Granada. And so they have a different, you know, we tend to, you and I work mainly with college students, but right. they're working, they're, they're reaching college students, but they've got maybe the, their feet more in a church world where they're, they're also dealing with people who maybe aren't, college students or didn't go to college. And so they, they're seeing how that plays out um, acutely across the, the, the spectrum, the cultural spectrum. So I think, I think um, that would be interesting because I, I don't know, like, what's it like for a, a working class family in Europe? You know, what, what are their, how do they look at those things? Um, yeah. And I, well, and I think what would be interesting to find out is how much people reflect on those things, your yeah. average person. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm realizing in my own life is the more noise I put into it. So between podcasts, sorry, people who are listening to this, uh, but also, you know, television or Netflix or reading or music, my mind doesn't stay at rest. And by not staying at rest, sometimes I don't reflect properly or I don't, I don't allow the difficult things to come up. You know, it's easy to medicate in some sense. And so I think, I wonder how much, um, people entertain themselves to make the hurt go away or even just the deep thought go away. Yeah. And I wonder how much your average person does that. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I mean, I think there's, there's several books and studies, you know, what's a, there's a book entertaining ourselves to death. Yeah. Right. I think there's a lot of people pointing out that, you know, we're talking, we're talking about living in a non-reflexive society. So society, and it doesn't really ask those questions of itself or people don't, people don't, aren't, we don't, we don't typically, think about and so we have our blind spots our assumptions but we don't typically try to un- undermine those and we don't typically ask those big questions now, so, some people do and you know uh I, I think probably deep down everyone maybe has to ask is asking a little bit of that question right deep right. deep down but i think you're right maybe we find ways of uh avoiding those those questions and what, what's interesting is we you know in europe uh more and more i, I had a friend uh, tell me this, and you know, just a friend from from school. Um, his kids go to the same school as my kids. Saying, it's he said, it seems to me more and more being a person who believes in God and has you know tries to keep their family together and tries to you know have a have a clear direction. It seems more and more that that is contra to society. That's revolutionary. Um, so. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly. Is it, is it revolutionary in a sense of admirable? Was that the way he was thinking of it? Or was he thinking revolutionary in the sense of odd? 
odd. I don't think he was admirable. I mean, he would probably subscribe to those values more than anyone. Yeah. Uh, but he would say the scene is revolutionary or contra to what is normal. Right. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I actually, I mean, I agree with that. Um, so I've had several, let's say acquaintances or people we know, you know, get divorced and, uh, you know, we've had conversations about, well, you know, have you thought about, you know, counseling or, or different things to try to, you know, keep things together. And the, one of the problems is actually counselors, a lot of times um, in the secular environment, their assumption is, well, if you're not happy, you should get out. Yeah. So the individual is such an arbiter of all things right and wrong that to that point that it's actually not worth keeping anything together from their perspective, because yeah. those aren't, you know, those aren't, those aren't values that that would hold on to. So I think, I think it makes it actually incredibly hard for the Christian to enter that. Uh, you know, even if you say, Hey, you know, your marriage is on the rocks. There's this awesome marriage ministry. God wants your, you know, whatever people just kind of look at you like, but why? Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be done with this. Yeah. Uh, it makes it incredibly hard. The thing that I keep thinking about lately, and this is why I talk a lot uh, to people about the long game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people can can look at China and, you know, population-wise has the most Christians of any country in the world now. And, yeah. you know, percentage of population is still relatively low, but, but as far as total number of Christians, the most of any country. And, you know, missions-wise, there was a period of just incredible explosion there. It slowed down some. Um, and we, that's been in our lifetime and, and people can look at that and they can go, wow, look at what happened yeah. if they have the short view. But if they have the long view, um, which I'm more a fan of, you, get, you, you look at guys like you know, Hudson Taylor and all the rest who saw very little fruit and some who saw no fruit, um, but don't underestimate the number of people who came to Christ today because those guys were planting seeds Yep. And creating so people to, who are praying and, you know, all of these things that we don't, we don't tend to think about. And that's what I, that's what I mean by the long game. Part yeah. of the long game that I think we have to be playing in the, in the, oh, that makes it sound so like that it's some kind of competition and we're going to win, but, yeah, but yeah. more just, we need to be thinking, having the long view of history. Yeah. Um, we need, we need to realize how, um, how important it is for us as Christians to be a presence of peace in the world that we're in. (laughs) So families or people who are doing things that are just considered freakishly odd, taking a Sabbath, resting, turning your phone off, not being addicted to it, not looking at pornography, all of these things, but yet eventually a certain number of people, and I'm not saying all of society, but a certain number of people will start to look at that and start going, wait a second, you're doing something different and your life is different. Uh, I keep, I continue to go back to the world we are in is chaotic. Jesus is the Prince of peace. I got to figure out how Jesus would live so that the church and so that I can be a, a, a peaceful Harbor in the midst of the storm. Um, and so I, more and more, you know, here, I mean, obviously, you know, you won't find anyone that's not a bigger proclaimer of the gospel than I am. I mean, I, I, I love talking to people about Christ, but more and more, I just continue to think of how important it is to, 
to develop peace in my life and in the people around me because that over time becomes attractive to yeah. a world that, that has nothing. There is nothing that can offer peace, only, only yeah. short-bought gains. Yeah. Well, we're in a fascinating time right now because, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll, get, we'll get through it, but um, we're, what we're seeing in humanity is not in control of its as destiny as it, as it would like to be. Yeah, right. Um, and so that, like, that's a big question. And, uh, you know, are, are we the people who in the midst of this are calm, are, are, are patient, are following the rules, yeah. are, are doing our best to love our neighbor um, as, you know, within the confines of, of what we can. And um, I, so I think those are, those are the big questions. I think there's, there's, there's so many things to unpack in this conversation. Every time you say something, I'm kind of thinking to another data point in my head or another writer, <laughs> I you know, know, like, right? Right? you know, like uh, so, so at some point we need to get into Zygmunt Bauman, um, you know, yeah, liquid, that's liquid. What, that's what the folks are really. <laughs> I, I think he's how a guy, many podcasts well, have quoted him. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, but he's you know the, this idea. Well, you were talking about relationships falling apart. Yeah. You know, he talks about that. He's got a whole book called Liquid Love. Huh. You know, and that we have lost as a as a modern society the ability to be. I don't want to say faithful, but the ability to be faithful in in our relationships, right? Yeah, and not, he's not just talking about marriage or family but it's talking about society you know yeah it's so easy for us to go well you know i mean how many people are out here in spain running the quarantine because they don't they want to be comfortable so right. they're right. you know they're doing the stuff um right they how, can many, to how many how many dogs have they killed walking them to death <laughs> yeah 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 well the guy the guy in in canary islands the other day who got arrested for walking a chicken you know did he yeah, yeah, he took a chicken out for a walk. You know, so hey, chickens got to get their chickens got to move their legs. Yeah. You know, yeah, but that, but that's that's a fundamental. You know, you see the. I don't want to be too critical on young people because young people are we. we I was young also, but you know, people go to the beach. You know, got off from school because of the quarantine, right. and they everyone right. went to the beach, and you just you know. But that that's that's a symbol of you know our own selfishness yeah. of as humans, probably more hyper. That in this day and age, because of our own sense of individualism, that we are, it's all about me, and we're living in the midst of even a. I think that's off off the charts for most people right now. So, so I listen. This is awesome. I listen to this uh, uh, podcast, and there's this guy uh, Rob Long, who is a, he used to be a writer on Cheers, and has been producing stuff in Hollywood for years, and. Mm-hmm. And a uh, really funny guy, and but he's also kind of, he's on some political podcasts too. And, and uh, he was saying that he was in this meeting in Hollywood that's really hurting from, you know, all this stuff because no one's going to movie theaters. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, he said, he said there was in this meeting and, and uh, w- people just kept saying, you know, y'all, it's not about us. It's not about us. And he goes, yeah. what kind of narcissistic world do you have to live in that you have to keep saying that? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, you know, like people, we, we really do think, and myself included, like I find myself thinking so often, how much is my first inclination to think about my own comforts or yeah. how this thing affects me or how can I get around it? Or, you know, it, this particular mm-hmm. time in history uh, really highlights that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, well, man, we've hit we we keep hitting uh, we keep hitting uh, longer than we said we were going to go. What what uh, we go here thirty? We're forty two minutes, buddy. Forty two. Wow. We we just keep we just keep. We were going to try to be short this time. Yeah. Like, well, you know, 
it's it's just so much good stuff man it's just a lot of fun uh okay it so is. give me something that you're either reading or watching okay so real quick and um i think at some point in the future if this, this keeps going we, we should come back to to terrence malik but I started watching tree of life last okay. night uh and i've only seen i only saw half of it because it's a pretty long movie yeah. But uh, so far, I think it's it might be the movie for this time right now because it's asking the question, "God, where are you in all this mm. suffering and pain?" And but it, well, it, it, it's it's basically what what seems to be the the Book of Job, but kind of artistically expressed. That's really cool. Uh, you know, you know, uh, it, it, and it's it's all set in Texas, so. Uh, it's, it's really, so as a Texan, I like watching it cause you see, you see, oh, I, I've been there or, oh, that looks like downtown Dallas or Houston. Right. Or, Hey, that looks like pretty much all those, you know, all those small towns in Texas where you go in the main square and the courthouse is in the middle yeah, yeah. and they got all the businesses around yeah. it. And it's, you know, very idyllic and yeah. the architecture. So I, I've enjoyed that part, but also the, the, the kind of, there's a, there's a, there's a real, it, it's not an easy um, movie to watch you know if you're not a cinephile but it's got a, it's the, the 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 depth of the theology that's going huh. on there is is pretty powerful oh that's really cool yeah. this is off point but your mention of uh texas and texas film uh was it was it you garrick that uh took a pilgrimage to the uh motel of- ball rocket yes <laughs> <laughs> we we were on our way back. I you know I'd driven by it. The, so uh, Barrett's referencing the the first Wes Anderson movie, Bottle Rocket, which is a classic. It's fantastic. It's actually, movie, Martin one of Martin Scorsese's favorite movies. Is it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a brilliant. It's a brilliant movie, and but it's his first movie, and they filmed part of it in Hillsborough in this hotel. It's right off the side of I I thirty five. And uh, so we were we were driving back from some ministry stuff. The whole family and and there's. They were, you know, I could tell people were kind of hungry. So I thought, you know, let's, I'm going to, we're going to pull over and there's a McDonald's right next to it. So I got the kids and the wife and the McDonald's. And then I went over to the hotel and kind of walked around it and uh, <laughs> went out into the field where there's this, this really great shot where they're shooting um, bottle, you know, Roman candles and bottle rockets off yeah. in the, in the movie. And they're standing in this field and that field's still there. And I, you know, the pool's still there. It's, it's all, it's been renovated. So it didn't look yeah. that kind of classic, that kind of a sixties, seventies kind of feel. There are all sorts of pilgrimages, aren't there? There are, you can go anywhere. And so that, for me, that was, uh, if you, you know me, Wes Anderson uh, films, but uh, that was a very special moment. Yeah, uh, cool. Well, I am... Uh, I am uh, what are you watching? What are well, you among other things, I don't know. My wife and I, we really enjoy uh, MasterChef, uh, uh-huh. but we enjoy the Swedish version. Uh, so one of the cool things about the Swedish version is they're just really polite to each other. Um, uh-huh. It's really refreshing. The American version is all about, you know, I want to jump down your throat and I'm going to cut throat. You know, it's like, yeah. I hate that guy. They're so arrogant, you know. Yeah. And, and of course, the, the producers are getting to do all this. Yeah. Um, but the, the Swedish version, like participants, like when they're done, they go over, like when they get kicked off or they lose or whatever they go up and like everyone's crying because they've made a good friend and it's just like this and they kind of cheer each other on when they're like hey i thought you did a real that was a really great dish a really good idea Uh uh it's actually this really cool thing um you know that's one of the things actually living in a different culture you learn to appreciate that other cultures do really well um and you kind of say wow that's a good part of this yeah that's one of the great things about swedish culture is early on you learn how to um do teamwork Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. even my kids are first grade and um third grade and a lot of their a lot of their classwork is done in teams and they learn very early on how to communicate in teams and you root for each other 
Yeah. And, uh, and I just, I love that part about uh, Swedish code. You do it in a very Swedish way, right? I mean, you know, you, you dance around like a Swedish chef. No, I'm yeah. um, I was trying not to make that joke. I know. You you, Swedish cook. You've been so fighting like, oh, it. Come on. We've done oh, now almost two hours yeah. of podcasts and you've been fighting it for two hours. You're <laughs> Swedish just, chef. You're just waiting. You've been it though. <laughs> uh, I think he should be called the Norwegian chef because he's, he, he seems more Norwegian. Sounds anyway. more, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so this is one of the things I love. So we just finished uh, the 10th season of, of that oh, wow. and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm reading, actually, you mentioned stuff on POS. So you and I have talked so much about them, but I actually had never read, I, I read a few things that he posted on the internet and things like that, mm-hmm. but I decided I was going to do a deep dive into some of his books. So I'm, I'm reading uh, church planning in the Western secular cultures Yeah, and, uh, really, really good stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Stuff I started, I'm re- I just started reading it too. So, uh, yeah. that's, that's great. well, I'm looking forward to you and I. Uh, yeah. hopefully doing a deep. I, I actually think it'd be fun to get Poss on here. I bet, ah. I bet he'd probably, uh, I think I've got a friend who, who, uh, did some research with them. I need really? to, the guy who was in Granada, a Dutch guy. So I need, I, I can, so we might have some, we might have some connections there. Already. You know, I have a bit of history of, of convincing, uh, renowned theologians to yeah, yeah, do things they famous. otherwise wouldn't do. So <laughs> you, you and Sam it's Perez, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to call up into your right. You know, you know, here's, here's what it is. Guys who do scholastic work have so few people calling them and think that their stuff is so cool, but they're willing to, they're willing to talk about it anywhere, you know? That's true. So I think they probably come on. Well, Garrick, man, always a pleasure. This is uh, episode two, more or less in the books here. A little bit of editing, a little bit of things. Uh, Hey, listen, folks, if you, uh, if anyone has any things you want to hear Garrick and I talk about any subject matter, uh, you can uh, contact at, uh, we're going to come up with a contact email. (laughs) Most of you (laughs) listening right now. If you're listening, you know how to get a hold of (laughs) us. If you're listening, you know how to get a hold of us. But I'm going to come up. I was about to give away my personal email address. I was like, this is probably not a good idea. (laughs) Not not in the world of Russian hackers. But we we didn't get to Tiger King, but we need to get to Tiger King at some point. Oh my gosh. Can, Can we actually, we've already gone over. So can we do two or three minutes on Tiger King? Do you want to keep, just keep going? Yeah, well, yeah, we're yeah. gonna miss the we're gonna miss the cultural moment of Tiger King, and then us commenting on Tiger King will be, you know, passe, Too right? Bad. Okay. So I totally forgot. So we're just gonna go over. Maybe I'll cut some things out that are boring, or we okay. just put it up there and yeah, can just suffer. see. And hey, so if you're listening, you don't want to hear about Tiger King, or you want to take a break, go for right. it, and then come back and hear about <laughs> Tiger King. Those who haven't thrown their phone across the room yet, or asleep. All right, so so give us some context for Tiger King. And then we'll, we'll, I have some actually very particular ideas about Tiger King, yeah. but, but you give us some context. It's a fascinating uh, documentary on Netflix about really about a subculture that I didn't know existed, which is people who own private zoos would have, you know, and, and <laughs> trade cats. in big cats. <laughs> and it's a very fascinating subculture in America, but Tiger King is, is about this guy, Joe exotic in Oklahoma and uh, his, um, fall from grace he gets involved in all kinds of horrible things and he's in prison now i think a lot of those people are going to go to prison in that in the yeah it seems like that special that documentary but fascinating so that's kind of so so it's like it's like one of the if it's not the number one i know in sweden it's the number one show right now yeah yeah on netflix i think globally i think it might and i'm seeing on social media and stuff those that i do check every now and then people dressing up as tiger king you know, yeah. watching it. And I was having a conversation today 
about this phenomenon. And I, I think that in large measure, personally, I think part of it is that people are wanting some kind of escape. You want mm-hmm. you want to find something that is weirder than the situation I find myself in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and so it's possible. just like this is yeah. I'm gonna and I mean it's it's a little bit about you're you're watching a train wreck happen, right? So yeah, that's, that's possible. But it's just yeah. this moment of I think stress levels in in some degree degree, and it's it's a latent stress. It's not a oh my gosh I'm gonna die right now. There's bombs going off, but it's the kind of stress that's just like I find myself at the end of most days going. I just want to laugh. And so yeah. I'm going onto YouTube and finding stupid, you know, Enneagram people at Starbucks <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I, Tiger King is, is fascinating and there's, we can mind the depths more of that yeah. uh, you and I maybe privately. <laughs> I think, I think there's something about the reality of it, right? Yeah. Because you could, you could make a movie that had all those elements. Although I don't know if you could actually come up with some of the stuff that was going on in there. It's you know, so yeah, exactly, so bizarre, right? and it keeps making turns and twists, and you, so right. you just can't believe that this is happening. Right. I think there's also part of the uh, this is reality, and we can look at it and go. I'm not sure where I want to go with that, or but but I think there's something about that. You you could have made a movie and gone, and it probably would have been a pretty cool movie. But the fact that these are real people. Yep. And, well, I mean, uh, I mean, I look, also, movies movies were made that are hilarious, but didn't do as well as this is done. So you've got yeah, Strictly yeah. Ballroom, you've got uh, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, right? Those are yeah, essentially yeah. Tiger King, a pared down Tiger King, but yeah, didn't yeah, do yeah. quite as well. And part of it is, yeah, the unbelievable unbelievable nature of, of what actually exists. Yeah. This is why actually living overseas, people will come up to me and go, hey, I've heard in America and then fill in the blank. And my comment is always, there's everything in America. Yeah, everything. And so if someone would have come to me, I've heard that there's big cat owners who own zoos and this guy named Tiger King or whatever. Joe Wild, I would have literally, I would have said, there's everything in America. Yeah. Because there there literally is everything. everything. If you can dream it, it is there. The world's an interesting place. The world is an interesting place, and it's going to continue being an interesting place, and hopefully you and I are here to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> Th- thanks for podcast, man. Have a good awesome. one. Awesome.